if you look for a title, how did we get here? You ever feel like that? Like, how did I get here? How did I get here in my life? Even when it comes to decisions we make, choices we make. And, you know, today we're going to find out about ourselves. You can be broken, stuck, or someone, you know, maybe in your life you've been dreaming about, like, man, I've just been miserable. I've been things I've walked through. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm married, but I've been, you know, in the back of my mind, I've been dreaming that I'd be single again. And the truth is, you don't always feel this way, but, you know, the, sometimes we, you know, we use our time and, and, um, and, and we just think about things we shouldn't. I heard someone say, you know, marriage is the closest thing on earth is heaven or hell. You figure it out. And, you know, that it, for many of us is that, yeah, you know, why is marriage not working? Well, I'm going to talk about that. Maybe we've been in a drift in marriage. Sometimes marriage is getting a drift. And what I mean is like you just drift apart. You start doing your thing. She starts doing her thing. And, and, and you're not doing anything together. It's okay to have different hobbies. And my wife likes to go on hikes and bikes. And I'm like, you know, I'm not doing that. I'll go get in a duck blind, a deer blind, or what? I'll hike to that. You know, but there are things that we have to do together. We've been married 32 years. And I remember the day I asked her to marry me. I was in Tacoma, Washington. And it was in March of 1984. And I remember going and uh, having my plan and what I was going to do. And I was going to this place called Fort Nisqually. I missed the exit the first time. Had to go all the way back around, like, making excuses. And she goes, where are we going? What are we doing? She's asking me questions. And I'm like kind of freaking out. I'm nervous and, you know, my, I'm just, just not myself. And I remember just going to a place, it was called Fort Nisqually, get to this place, had the place where I wanted to ask her to marry me. On one side, you could see the, the uh, Mount Rainier and then you could see um, the uh, Narrows Bridge. It was kind of like the Golden Gate Bridge of uh, Northwest. And they had the Puget Sound right below it. And on the other side, you could see the Olympic National Forest. And and at this moment, I said, it's the perfect place. It's the perfect girl. And I just don't want to mess up. How many you, never, how many you ever just, you know, you kind of get stage fright a little bit. And I remember going there and I never told her I'd loved her because I made a commitment when I gave my life to the Lord. I never told a girl I loved her. And so the next thing coming out of my mouth would be, will you marry me? And it took a lot of self-control. I wanted to say it a bunch of times. And I just, I got to there and I just started telling her about the dream that I felt like God was speaking to me and how I was going to live and how I was going to serve God. And, and I looked at her and I said all this stuff and I said, but you know what? I can't do that unless you be my best friend. I love you. And will you marry me? And I remember she just went, just matter of fact, you gotta know my wife, just matter of fact. Yes. I was thinking Hollywood, you know, yes, she's going to throw herself on me. You're the man, nothing. And me, me and all my insecurity, I just got, I go, are you sure? And she goes, yes. And I said, okay, well, that was easy. And, you know, but many of us feel like sometimes like, you know, I look back, that's 32 years ago, but sometimes hope leaves a room. Hope leaves a place. Hope leaves in your heart. And maybe you're single, you're engaged, you're happily married, or you're angrily married, or you're divorced, or you're widowed, or you're just in between. Regardless of who you are, where you are, and where your marriage is, your marriage, listen to me, has hope. Say when we say hope. And you say, well, pastor, you don't know my circumstances. No, I don't, but Jesus does. And your marriage has hope, not because of how compatible you are with your spouse. But I believe your marriage has hope because not because of 
how much you come to church or how much you read your Bible. But I believe that your marriage has hope because of Jesus Christ. And if he can take someone and change you from the inside out, he can change your circumstances. But you have to be willing to be honest and, in fact, brutally honest with yourself, honest with God and others around you. Am I making sense yet? You see, so here's a million-dollar question. What happened in my marriage? You know, how did I end up here? And, and here's a question. Are great marriages still possible, Pastor Baba? And let me just say, the odds are stacked against you. In fact, they say that today's marriages are, it's a 50-50 deal. You know, in fact, can you imagine if you had those odds and you were taking a trip overseas and the airline goes, you have a, you know, thank you for coming on American Airlines. You have the 50-50 chance of getting to Europe today. How many of you go, you know what, I might have to think about that one. But see, I, you, you, you know what? A good marriage isn't something you find. Look at me. Look at me. I want to tell you, a good marriage is something you make. A good marriage is made. It's not, you know, Kesaras or whatever will be will be. It, that's just not the way it is. You know, hopefully today I can offer some solutions, but, but you have to be willing to do this. Listen to me. I'm going to get right into it. You got to be willing to work. It's a four-letter word, work. Marriage, see, uh, your current state of marriage is only a reflection of your current state of where you're really at with Jesus himself. Because, see, I believe this. If you're the most, the most mature person in your marriage is the one that's willing to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Let's work on this. You know what I mean? Or, hey, have I done something to offend you? Have I done something to, you know, and then if you identify something you've done, you take every effort to take, you take the responsibility of what you need to do and how you need to see the. And so before we talk about anything, a better marriage, you have to talk about where your relationship is where, with Jesus is. The answer to a better marriage is not in your spouse. I'm just going to make them better. That shouldn't be your project. You see, it's allowing Jesus to change you. That's where it all starts. It all starts with Jesus. You want a great marriage? You've got to have a good relationship, a great relationship with the Lord. So the first point is this. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. It's you. Well, thank you, Pastor Bob. I came to be loved and feel butterflies this morning. But let me just say this. Through, through this series and what Jamie says and what I have to say, listen, don't listen for your mate. Listen for you. Because that's what we do sometimes in, in marriage things or different things in life. And I hope she's listening. I hope that knothead's going to listen. Man, he, boy, he needs to hear this. We start listening for our spouse rather than listening for us. And see, what happens is, I know how it is because I've done that. I've been in the message or a sermon. I've sat in that seat and listened to someone. I go, man, I hope my wife's listening to that one. Mm-hmm. I've been praying for that one. Listen, you need to listen for you. See, there's, there's no such thing as, as, as married people issues. Only people issues get worse in marriage. That went right over your head. In other words, there's no such thing as married people issues. Only people issues that get worse in marriage. Because, see, marriage just reveals what's inside of us. It exposes who we are. Come on. Could it be that God changes you? Could it be that before God changes your spouse, he wants to change you? And here's a scripture I just want to use for this morning. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, you know, it's important. You got to strive. You got to aim at things. Thank you, Greg. And I brought. See, I have I have dove guns. I have quail guns. I have duck guns. I have turkey guns. I have guns for elk. I have guns for deer. But my friend that's at one of our pastors in in um, trying to think of the name of the not Kerrville. Um, anyway, and uh, where there's a military base, I forget where. Where? No, that's Air Force. It's Army. Huh? And never mind. That's all right. He's 32 years. I'm his uncle. He calls me Uncle Bubba. And he knew that I've taught him how to shoot and tried to help him out on some things. And, and, and then he bought me what most men need is a fly gun. It's a fly gun. It shoots flies. It shoots bugs. You fill it up with table salt. You put it right in here. And you pump it. No batteries, nothing. And, man, let me tell you something. It's the funnest gun I've ever had. It literally is. But that's not the point. That's just a commercial. I've had some people. I've got the deluxe version. It has, it has flies and camo version. Anyway, just. But what happens is, why, do you, why are you bringing a gun? In other words, what I'm, I want to get a point so you don't forget. Not the gun itself. But here's the thing. What you got to do. Whatever you're aiming for is what you're striving towards. In other words, the Bible says, see, what the, what the Bible says really, aim for the kingdom. Aim for your relationship. You got to be aiming because, listen, if you're not aiming at something, listen, if you don't have a target, you're not going anywhere. You're just, you're stuck. In other words, you got to have a good aim. You got to know what you're going for. You know, and so this morning, so what I want to talk about with you this morning is what are you aiming for? What are you aiming for in your marriage? His way of doing it, being right, having the right attitude, having the character of what God wants to put in, not being a character in marriage, but having God's character put inside of us. In other words, the attitude, all these things will be given also. If you seek his kingdom, God's going to begin to deal with you about your attitude. He's going to begin to deal with you about how you see things, how you respond to things. See, you weren't created to be completed by the love of another human being. You were created for the love of Christ, the love of God. Because if you're not seeking his kingdom, if you're not seeking the love of God, then everything else is not going to make sense. Everything else is going to have holes in it. I'm in the right place. See, I just say this. Lonely, insecure, unhappy, single people become lonely, insecure, unhappy, married people. Marriage doesn't fix it. It just exposes it. Marriage doesn't solve the emptiness. It exposes the emptiness inside of us. See, the problem, we're looking for, we're looking for our spouse to satisfy something in us only that Jesus can. I'm trying. Our spouse makes a horrible God. You know why? Because they're just going to fail us. Let's just be honest. How many of you have ever just blown it in marriage? And the rest of you, you're lying if you're married. Anyway, have you just blown it? How many of you have walked in pride before? Come on. How many of you walked in anger? I've learned this. The anger of man never accomplishes the purposes of the will of God. That's what the Bible says. Made you feel good in the moment, but it sure messed up your marriage. You know what? Whatever you idolize, eventually you'll demonize. 
What do you mean? I'm going to make that a point here in a minute. In other words, this is what we should be doing in marriage. As a man, I have the responsibility to be the leader of my household. Okay? And if I'm the leader of my household, I need to be pulling my wife and my children in a direction where I'm going. Does that make sense? This is where I'm going. We're going to serve. Why do I say grace at dinner time? Because you know what? We serve God. We want to be thankful. I want to have a great, grateful attitude, no matter if it's food that I don't like. And I'm not telling my wife. You know, for years, I never told my wife, and Cheryl knows this, I never told her that I hated spaghetti. We've been married like 15 years, and one day I go, Maybe I just got to be honest. My kids love spaghetti. She makes, for spaghetti, my wife makes incredible spaghetti. But I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not a spaghetti fan. Now she makes a new spaghetti for me with sausage in it. Mashat, that's good. But I, I mean, and it's like, I kind of hurt her because I was like being a martyr for 15 years when I really didn't need to be. You know what I mean? But see, here's the thing. I should be pulling her. Instead of drifting. See, what happens in marriage is when you don't lead, no one has anything that they're going for. If you're not showing them what we're aiming for, your kids don't know how to get there. Your wife and your spouse don't know how to get there. Am I making sense? And so what happens is if you're doing that, this is what every every person wants as an individual. I need to know who I am. It's an identity issue. It's who I, who am I? What did God make me for? What is my purpose in life? That's why the purpose-driven book, purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, Rick Warren, everybody wants to know their purpose. You can't find it in a book. You've got to find it in God. And it's a great book. I'm not, I'm not here to, it's, you know. Because, see, if you don't know who you are, the Bible says I'm fearfully, wonderfully made by the hand of God. He tells me to take on, in other words, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. God, transform me. I want that transformation there. I want to live. See, Jesus rose from the grave, and the Bible says the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in us. We have a resurrection spirit inside of us. Just when everything seems like it's dead, it's not going to make it, we, have a, we can rise up again and go, it's by the power of Jesus, it's by the power of God, what he did in me. In relationship and prayer, is all about this. God, I want less of me because I don't need all of Bubba McCann. Bubba's got issues. Bubba's got the inner jerk that wants to come out sometimes. Bubba's got anger issues when the traffic's bad on, on Ambassador Caffrey. You understand what I'm saying? And so what I need to be doing, I need to know who I am. Listen, in marriage, you need to know who you are. You're a servant. You're you're a child of the living God. His spirit lives inside of you. Then it comes to this point. I want stability in my life. Everybody wants to be stable. But see, if you don't know who you are, you're going to live in instability in your life. This is all free. It's just, you know what? I want to be stable. I have six kids. They're all doing great. I have one in jail right now. But honestly, it's the place he needs to be to find his identity. And he's finding it. He's been in there 75 days. He's got more time to go. But the first thing he said, Dad, when you come, my first visit with him is we bring my Bible. I can bring my Bible. 
God's showing him things. He's saying, God, Dad, is there hope for these people? And he's dealing with things that he did to me in there. He never dishonored me, but he sure lied and covered up. And they've had a lot of people lie to him and cover up things in there. It's just exposing, you know. And so what happens is it's it's I want to walk. I know who I am. I need to have I need to walk in stability in my life. And only real stability only comes through a relationship with Jesus because he identifies who you are and you identify who he is. So you can you can have a stable marriage. You can have a stable relationship. Your kids can be stable because they watch you and not be crazy. I looked at one guy one time and said, listen, you know, you you got the hots of her and you want to go be with her before you get married. Listen, you don't know. Have you really seen? Don't just let what you see on the outside be, you know, God give us. Hey, listen, let me just tell you something. God gave us the ability. The attraction gift was not given by the devil. It was designed by God. Are you hearing me? He just sorts everything and people want to do their own thing. He said, listen, you don't really know. Her mother's crazy. And if you marry her and you shack up and she gets pregnant, you're dealing with her for the rest of your life. You want like crazy. Ah, I come out in that. Think about it. Hello. I'm speaking to somebody here. The next thing we want is Security. Every woman wants to feel safe, secure, and they feel like they can be successful in their marriage and with their children and their childbearing. They want that. But see, if you don't walk, if you don't know who you are, you walk in instability, you're going to walk in insecurity rather than security. You see, when you first met your husband, you thought, man, he is so laid back. He's so cool. But after 10 years of marriage, that full on freaking log, that bump on the log, he can't get up from the couch. When you first married her, you said, man, she is so detailed. After 10 years of marriage, all of a sudden you say, she's a control freak. These are the same people, they just make horrible idols. You can't allow flawed humans to begin to take the place where God intended to be. The only one worthy of being idolized in worship is Jesus Christ himself. Many marriages fail because we place in a burden on our spouse. They were never made to carry. If you're looking for them to get you out of your circumstances, help you in security, figure out what color hair you want this month, woman. Let me tell you something. He can't help you. The second thing is, is unrealistic expectations will ruin relationships. Unrealistic expectations lead to disappointment. How many you ever been disappointed? Disappointment leads to frustration. You ever been frustrated? <laughs> Have kids. Have lots of kids. Now, I'm not talking two. You, that's one-on-one. When you start having three and more, you play zone. What happens is frustration leads to bitterness if you don't deal with frustration. And bitterness leads to contempt. In other words, what does that mean? You begin to define your spouse by the negative attributes rather than the positive attributes in their life. I call it the 80-20. You start looking at the 80% that drives you crazy now that you've been married a little while and you've become comfortable because you've drifted and you forgot why you got married. And kids have a way of kind of changing the dynamics of your marriage. Come on. I mean, look, when I was 
when my wife and I were married and I had little kids when Zach, who's a pastor now, and I remember I look at him and, and I remember him and Andrew and Matt, we, I'd be on, in the kitchen kissing my wife, rubbing her booty, what married people do. And they go, Dad, that's sick. And I look at him, one day I hope you're sick for your wife as I am for your mama. Come on. Now, Zach, he's got five kids less than, I don't know, 10 years of marriage. I mean, he's sick. <laughs> Is that about how many kids you have? Let me just say this. Marriage doesn't fix trouble. The Bible says, they said, even in Corinthians, it said, but those who, are, who marry will have trouble in this life. We must accept that when you get married, you can have trouble. Come on. Thanks for all those amens this morning. Remember, you aren't a lonely person in need of a soulmate. You are a sinner in need of a savior. You know this to be true. If you've ever looked at vacation websites or brochures, you know what I'm saying? They Photoshop it. The trees are greener. The beach is wider. Come on. The hotel looks like I got a fresh paint coat of paint. When you get there, all of a sudden, you think, this is the greatest vacation spot in the in face of the earth. And you get there, and you're going, dang. This is like junk. How much do we pay for this? See, if you go into marriage thinking you will find ultimate fulfillment, you'll be disappointed. You will. The point of marriage is to make you, not to make you happy, but, but holy by teaching you how to love like Jesus loved. People pray, Lord, I just want to, I want to be like Jesus. We'll get married. You're going to learn to be, you're going to learn to serve. You're going to learn to give. You're going to learn to sacrifice. If you really love someone, it will, it will cause your pride to be questioned. It will be cause your character to be put pressure on. Hello. Because whatever's in you, it's like if this was a Coke bottle and I started shaking it, whatever's in you in marriage and you open the lid when you get married, whatever's in there is coming out. Because listen to me, when you date, you're on your best behavior. I always pre, I tell premarital, when I do premarital counts, I don't do it as much as I used to because that's the campus pastor's job now, praise God. But when I look at them, I go, and, and they'll come to you and go, man, they're just perfect. Do you see any flaw? Oh, the Bible, you never done Bible and said, but you ever heard that saying, love blinds? You're blinded by love? Look at me. Love blinds you. It just does. Because you don't see the flaws when you fall in love. But what happens is, this is what I tell people before you get married. I want you to see any flaw that you see while you're dating because they're on their best behavior. Multiply that by 30. And that's reality. It is. Listen, when I got married, I didn't think I had insecurities. They just came out. You know, my wife and I, we thought we'd never had anger issues. Like, start having children. And they wake up in the middle of the night and who's getting up? She won that one. I let her. She, she got up. See, let me just say this. Romance is never the cause of a good marriage. Romance is always the result of a good marriage. Can I say that again? Romance is never the cause of a good marriage. 
romance is always the result of a good marriage. It just is. You know, my wife was away. She went to a conference last week. And man, we missed her. And it was only gone two days. And it was just Luke and I. And the first night, Livy, my girl, we have five boys and one girl. And she's 11. And she's starting to become like a woman. And it hadn't been that time yet where she just whatever. You know what I'm talking about. And so she's gone. My wife's gone. And I'm like. And she's had kind of a rough night. Me and Luke are watching. I think we were watching uh, The Flash or The Hulk, whatever, one of those super duper movies, whatever, and super duper, whatever, superhero movies. And and I go, Livy, what's wrong? She goes, I've had a long day. I'm like, I go, are you okay? I just need to talk to mom. And I'm like, oh, God, please, not tonight. Not when mama's gone. It didn't happen. But anyway, and Luke goes, what's wrong with her? He's 13. Son, it's called emotions. Huh? You're stupid. Shut up. Just watch the movie. You have no idea. And I went back to baby. Are you okay? I've learned through my wife to be compassionate and try to listen, try to know what's going on. You know what I mean? And only 32 years of marriage. It's taken 32 years to get it. You know what I mean? And just, are you okay, baby girl? You know, all this stuff. Yeah, I just wish mama was here. Just need to have some girl talk. And I go, okay. Good. Well, she's going to be gone another night. You going to be all right? Yeah. You're just tired, daddy. Okay, well, go to bed. When Tracy got home, am I glad you were home? Because see, the third point is this. Your emotions do not justify your actions. I know some of you are thinking, but pastor, you don't understand. The emotions I feel are very real. Let me just say, our feelings are always real to us. They are. I'm not here to deny that, but that doesn't always make them right in God's eyes. What we feel, what we think. Whatever, whatever the emotion, the scripture must override the sinful sentiments of our emotions. What does that mean? A man's heart. The Bible says a man's heart determines his speech. The proverb says, but a man's actions, the man's, the, a man's actions determine his affection. Whatever you go, whatever you grab, whatever you try to defend, whatever you do, that's what you're affectionate for. Whatever you spend time more do, doing more, that's what you're affectionate for. How, how hard are you working at your marriage? Because that's where your affections are going to be. Corinthians says, like, when we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do. But when we grow up, we quit our childish way. Isn't it funny how marriage has the ability to reduce you to being like a child again? Don't do that to me anymore! Stop it! <laughs> When I was young, look at me. When I was first got married, one time Tracy and I going to argue. We had children, and she had done it. It was her fault. I know it was. I look back. I was so mad at her. It was like one of my first experiences. What I did. I, this is the truth. I go. You know what? 
I ain't sleeping with you tonight. I'm going on the couch. And by the way, I'm cutting you off. You don't have to cut me off. And she was probably going, praise God. Every woman, if their husband said that, they're going, vacation time. Praise God. I didn't make it the whole night. I had to go back and repent. Will you forgive me? Will you change me? Are you hearing me? And see, you said, Pastor, I'm praying for. Please do. I need all the prayers I can get. You see, we and, and sometimes you ignore each other. You walk by and you just go, hmm. You don't communicate. I know a guy that he was stuck. His marriage was drifting. And what he did is like he felt like the Lord spoke to him. You need to repent. Yeah, he hadn't been talking to his wife for three months. They hadn't talked. Then the Lord began to speak to him. You need to repent. And he said, I don't want to. He goes, I don't want words. I want action. And so what he did, he began to get a little note, put it somewhere, get a little gift. And nothing happened for a month. Nothing happened for two months. Nothing happened for three months. But he found out later where every time he would leave those notes with little gifts, his wife would leave acting like it was no big deal. And she would run around the house looking for what that next note said. And where they had no love, where they had no affection toward each other, God began to do something in his heart and God began to do something in her heart. And they were able to make things right. You understand me? You see, this goes back to point one. Our relationship with Jesus must guide our marriage, not our emotions. See, if our emotions are steering the ship, you're not going to make it into the harbor. You're going to be like a cork in the wave, just bobbing on. (laughs) You know, if you want to change your emotions, change your actions, and your emotions will follow your actions. That's what happened to that guy. Instead of being bummed out, being like, man, it just came out. He just being, when you're, when the emotions of love aren't there, you just begin to act what is, you begin to do what's right and let God take care of the rest. You know, I mean, I, I know so many stories of people that have, have done things that begin to, you know, where they weren't communicating. They went and they came, they came back and said, I'm sorry. They weren't being intimate with one another. Because let me tell you something, intimacy is a super glue, and it's not in your message, or it's not in this message, or it's not in the no. Uh, intimacy, it means into me see. That's what intimacy means. Into me, can you see into me? Do you really know what's going on inside of me? How many times have I had to just stay up now and then drink coffee with my wife sometimes and just hear what's going on inside of her? Hello? Look at me. I'm just, just, how many of you want hot love? Okay, th- man, I praise God for some of the men that raised their hand. Y'all just want that stale, boring love again. All right. How many of you want just intimacy? Come on. Super like what God, you know, can I just give you a hint? God created sex. Not the devil. Somebody go, I was like, praise God. Anyway, can I just get real in church? Anybody give me permission? Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. You know why some of you don't have the greatest sex life? Because you're not stirring the pot to bring the right emotions, the right protection, the right security in your marriage. 
Because it's the very thing that keeps you. That's where the devil wants to get in. He wants to keep you from that. Because it is the super glue that keeps everything together. It's not an act. It's designed to be the most intimate thing that a woman and a man can be. They become one. Physically, emotionally. Everything. They just do. And that is the very thing. And that's where the enemy wants to keep us, you know, keep us separated, keep us from, you know, enjoying what God created. And he perverts it. I'm just going somewhere. It's not even in my notes. All right. But let me tell you something. A lasting marriage is built when you have a when your relationship. Look at me. When your relationship is right with Jesus, everything else is going to be like incredible. Can I tell you how to have the best sex in your life? How many of you want to know? It's not a trick question. How many of you want the best sex you absolutely can? It's one woman for one lifetime. That's the best sex you can have. It is. And if you've been divorced, God can change that. God can bring forgiveness. God can give you another marriage. I'm not here to, you know, psychoanalyze all that. But I'm just saying, if you do it God's way, it's incredible. Thank you for all that free counseling you got this morning. This man, I didn't know. I, I never had a preacher talk about sex. That's the problem. The church needs to talk about that more. Instead of having all these emotions for things that are perverted, that we go, you know, we feel sorry for them. They want us to be moved by our emotions, and we got to do this, accommodate. We got to do all this when God designed a man and a woman for a lifetime. And see, I believe there, there's a Hebrew word for love, and it's just of. Ava, it's a clinging love. I'm not going anywhere kind of love. It's a strong, as strong as death. All the oceans of earth can't drown Ava. In other words, all the storms of life can't take away Ava. Ava is worth more than all the riches in all the world. I sat across from my best friend. He's got crazy money. Yeah, I mean, this is what he's kind of like Forrest Gump. He got so much money, I don't have to worry about anybody. One less thing to worry about. He set up for his grandkids, my roommate, everything. He set up. How many of you like to have that problem? But you know what? It can't fix a jacked up marriage. I'm not saying it's jacked up. I'm just saying it can't fix it. It can't fix when issues come. It just can't. See, if you're going to be faithful to the end, you need to learn, lean on the covenant we made with God and our spouse. When you went down that aisle, there was a couple of things you said until death do us part. Okay? I've never used the word divorce in my marriage, not once to my wife, in reference to our relationships. I'm not a stupid man. I've just never used it. That doesn't mean I haven't thought about murder, but I've never said divorce. For better or for worse, even if you find yourself in the worst category. That kind of love, it's not an option. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus didn't want to abandon his bride. Jesus has never abandoned you, even when you were in your darkest state. The Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's another portion. I'm with you always. Bible tells us to know that he's with us always and not to fear. He's not your parents. Maybe they abandoned and treated you different. Or you had to relearn life because of the, the skills you just didn't have. 
They didn't put the proper things in you, the tools to be able to know how to treat a woman, how to live a life, how to love God, how to say no to options and decisions. Am I in the right house? Don't abandon your marriage even when you're walking through dark days. 32 years, can I tell you something? I've had some dark moments. I have. And I've loved God through it. But that doesn't mean I'm exempt from having trouble. For better, for worse. My wife's done that when, when I walked through cancer. That was, a, that was one of the worst things. And my son's, you know, rebelling against God. And everything we've taught him. All at the same time. And then emotionally, she's having a change in life and all that mixed up in a pot. That's a gumbo, baby. And on my part, I'm walking through all that. God gives you the grace to walk through it, but he doesn't give the same grace to the people that are walking with you. Are you hearing me? It wasn't a time to abandon. It was time to go close. And we had to. We had to fight it. We had to walk through it. Can I just say... But can I tell you something? In the end, it makes it sweeter. It's, it's kind of like this. You know, we think, well, the grass is greener on the other side. No, it ain't. The other side's filled with more pain. Do we have any wildlife fishery people in here? I got a confession I got to make. Okay. A long time ago, I was dove hunting. And what happened is there was a hawk that was messing up my dove hunt. So just like any cage, I'm part of Ducks Unlimited. I'm not part of Doves Unlimited. I thought you could kill all the ducks you wanted when you joined Ducks Unlimited, but that's not true, I've heard. But what happened is I shot this hawk. And I didn't know when I went to go look at the hawk, I went to go pick it up. But I, I thought it was dead, but it wasn't dead. And when I picked up that hawk, it put its talents into my hand and in my wrist and every time I went ah it just got just deeper and harder because you know what it was in pain and it caused the pain and you know what in marriage when you cause pain in someone or you're walking through pain you say things and you do things you act certain ways first of all to protect yourself you think but you just respond differently in pain we all do. Are you hearing me? You go, did you kill? I did eventually. My, that's another story for another message. But I felt good. I, that confession got out on me. And, but I'm not, it seems to be this, I'm not going anywhere. It's kind of like what they say. It's kind of show enough kind of love, baby. It's show enough. I sure enough found the woman I want to stay with for the rest of my life. I've invested too much to go the other side. Are you hearing me? I've walked through too much. I ain't trained her in. Come on. I almost got her trained, but not quite. I remember looking in high school at Our Lady of Fatima, looking at my history teacher. I said, man, you know, I, I look back and I go, you know, when I get married, Miss Zinner, she's going to clean my ducks and cook them for me. She goes, Bubba McCann, you're a stupid man. I thought, no, she gonna. I was a stupid man. I make a confession. She cooks them, but she don't clean them. And she's from Washington State and not this area. So this doesn't mean, as Christians, we don't bail. 
It's for better or for worse. That doesn't mean you stay in an abusive relationship. You get help. You look for help. Sometimes if I'm having issues in my life, look at me. I gotta, that's why I have a pastor. Let me just say this. If you can't go to someone, a pastor, or someone you walk with in life, in your life group, and just say, man, I'm having some trouble. Because look at me. Trouble happens to everybody. And most of the time, it doesn't, trouble just doesn't jump on you. It's something you've done or decision you made that caused some trouble. And there may be some underlying issues that, and patterns in your life that you won't be broken in your life. Listen, there's still things that I deal with till this day. I've been saved for 36 years. There's still things that I still deal with that God delivered me from. Come on. But the very thing he delivered you from are the very things that the enemy tries to use you to get you back into. Come on. He's not going to some new area. He's going to go to the same areas that God delivered you to kind of say, you know, you can't happen. It don't work. Jesus loved you enough. to God loved you enough to send his son, Jesus. And if you're having struggles, that's where you find people that can pray with you, believe in you, encourage you, pour courage in you. Truth is, the person you marry will never be, you know, they'll be responsible for the, 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 the greatest wounds you have. I believe this. Grief is proportional to intimacy. Who can hurt you the most? The people that you're closest to. If you want a marriage that lasts, this is what you got to learn to do. You got to learn to be a servant. The Bible, Jesus said the greatest, you want to be great in this kingdom? Learn to be a servant. That's what he said. You want a great marriage? Learn to serve. Learn to serve. Every day, it happened this morning, before I leave the house, if I'm at home, I pray for my wife. That's the truth. Because I know she's going to deal with issues during the day. And this morning I was reading and I started some of the stuff I was reading this morning, my devotions. And I just went to her and I said, thank you, baby. Thank you for. I just told her this. Thank you for being a virgin. You didn't have Christian parents. You were seventh grade when you gave your life to the Lord. First time you heard the gospel preach, you were in fourth grade in a class. Your teacher used to quote scriptures. And somehow it just latched on to you. You could have dated many guys if you told every guy no except one. And you were only kissed by one because he snuck a kiss on you. I know her story. And I said, thanks for being a virgin. Because it's a picture of the covenant God brings. And I'm not going to get all that. I thanked her for that. And listen. I wasn't a virgin, but I I started my second virginity the day I gave my life to the Lord. Are you hearing me? I said, God, from this day forward, I'm not going to touch a girl. I'm not going to tell her I love her. I wanted my commitment to be real and deep. Are you hearing me? And it, it wasn't always easy. Can I be honest with you? But I can stand up here. Before God and before you, I never laid a hand on my wife. Now, after my wedding, that's a whole other story. That's another message. Six kids later and seven grandkids, we believe in love and something else. And the bottom line is for you. God wants you to enjoy. See, the point of marriage is to learn to wash the feet of another imperfect sinner. That's what it's all about. Let me just give you a couple of things and I'm going to wrap it up and we're going to pray. If you're going to have a great marriage, you need to do this. You want a good marriage? Write these things down. These are good. These are good. You want a great marriage? Learn to seek God on your own. Seek God. 
Learn to hear God's voice. When I mean seeking God, you hear his voice. You can be convicted by your, your decisions, your emotions, your selfishness, choices, all of that. That's what it means, okay, seeking God. The second thing is fight fair. Don't just throw things out. Find things that you really need to talk about and say, hey, can we sit down and talk? I'd like to talk to you. You know what I mean? And, hey, there's some things that I'm seeing and I'm feeling. Are you okay? And, you know, you learn to fight fair. That doesn't mean you're always going to be good at it, but you start fighting fair. This, the third thing is this. It's something that most married couples forget about. Have fun. Without drinking, smoking dope, or, or you know, whatever. Learn to have fun. When's the last time you just laughed? Part of my mission is, you know me, I'm a funny guy behind the scenes. I, am, I love to make people laugh. But my mission is to make my wife laugh. And that's hard sometimes. She's a hard cracker to crack. And it's not because she doesn't have a sense of humor, because she does. But learn to laugh at yourself and laugh with one another. Have fun. Guys, listen to me. When you met her, you started brushing your teeth and flossing. Girls, you put a little more foo-foo juice on you. That squirt for him. Can I tell you something? You made it fun to go pick out a place she didn't know where you were going. Come on. Here's another thing. Valentine's Day is Tuesday. Flash. For you slow men. You can still get cards. You can still make reservation. Roosh Chris is booked up till 10 o'clock. So you're not getting there Tuesday night. I already tried. And that was two weeks ago. So I'm going Monday night. And the thing is, and I'm not trying to get my reward taken from me either by advertising. But hey, make a plan. Go have fun. I mean, one, 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 one of my anniversaries, I have a guy in the church. He has a sports car. I got his sports car. I said, I'm going to bring it back to you cleaner than you gave. And I did. And he told me, he said, Pastor Bubba, you can bring my We laugh. We have fun. I put the top down. We were like kids, man. We had fun. Are you hearing me? Some of you hadn't had fun. I can tell. Stay pure. Keep things out of your house. Think, keep things off your computer. Keep things pure. If there's relationships you're just not feeling right about, talk to someone else. And the last thing is, listen to me. Never, ever, never, ever give up. Just don't give up. 